Lord Jesus and Heavenly Father, we thank you oh so much for the many things you've already blessed us with. Such a wonderful day. And now the opportunity to get back into your word. Please help us now as we continue our studies. As we pray in Jesus' precious holy name, amen. Continuing our Exploring the Word series in the book of Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, we see here in chapter 16 where basically Paul is signing off with a few extra notes to the church at Corinth. It reads, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order in, to, the, to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Now what he's talking about here is there was a special need. It was a, like some churches do a, a love offering. And they were gathering up some funds to send to the Christians in Jerusalem because they were under such persecution that many of them found themselves basically unemployed and unable to make any money. So they were trying to support them by getting some of the other churches to put together a love offering for the the Christians in Jerusalem. And that's what he's addressing here. Reads upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. And when I come, whomsoever ye shall approve by your letters, them will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. And if it be meet that I go also, they shall go with me. Now I will come unto you. When I shall pass through Macedonia, for I do pass through Macedonia, and it may be that I will abide, yea, and winter with you, that ye may bring me on my journey whithersoever I go. For I will not see you now by the way, but I trust to tarry a while with you, if the Lord permit. But I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost. For a great door of effectual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. Now if Timotheus come, see that he may be with you without fear, for he worketh the work of the Lord, as I also do. Let no man therefore despise him, but conduct him forth in peace, that he may come unto me, for I look for him with the brethren." Before I move on, it's interesting how he's setting up and preparing them and letting them know about Timothy coming and to treat him right. It's curious why he would even have to mention that for them to treat him right. But he's basically given an endorsement for Timothy and him coming there. As he continues in verse 12. As touching our brother Apollos, I greatly desired him to come unto you with the brethren. But his will was not at all to come at this time, but he will come when he shall have convenient time. Watch ye, stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men, be strong. Let all your things be done with charity. I beseech you, brethren, ye know the house of Stephanaeus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints, that ye submit yourselves unto such, 
Now, he's pointed out a successful bunch, and he's saying, do the same thing and be committed to such things, that ye submit yourselves unto such, and to everyone that helpeth with us and laboreth. It's important that we help each other, assist each other, look out for each other, support each other in the work of the Lord. This continues. I am glad of the coming of Stephanaeus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, for that which was lacking on your part they have supplied. For they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore acknowledge ye them that are such. The churches at Asia salute you. Aquila and Priscilla salute you much in the Lord with the church that is in their house. Now, if you remember, Aquila and Priscilla were associates of Paul's. He actually abided with them and was in business with them in the tent-making field, making money in order to use that into the ministry. And they have established a church at their house. As all the brethren greet you, greet ye one another with an holy kiss. The salutation of me, Paul, with mine own hand. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema maranatha. Now this anathema, standing on its own, is actually a word that means to be cursed or to be condemned or to be judged. And this maranatha means to, it's actually like, Lord, come quickly or Lord, so come. So what he's, some would say that this is a curse and a request that the Lord come on and curse people, but no, it's not. It's, let's read it again, you'll see what I'm saying. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be judged and Lord come quickly. If you put it that way, rather than be cursed, it's to be judged. It's to be judged by the Lord at his coming. And as the Canadians, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. So if we could very easily and frequently use the word, which is spelled M-A-R-A-N-A-T-H-A, Maranatha, by saying, Lord, come quickly. You're ready and eager. You're hastening and waiting the coming of the Lord. You're wanting that to happen. And you're wanting judgment to happen on yourself and others. But to point out what he is saying here, it's kind of kind of a risky thing to say. We say, if any man love not the Lord, let him be judged for it. It's like we have to understand the desire of Paul was not to condemn someone to judgment for being a sinner but he's saying that when the lord comes that's what's going to happen we need to be urgently at the work to make sure that there's less folks that are going to be facing that kind of judgment all through the writings of paul we see that his desire was never to condemn someone to hell it was to help people so don't take that because some people have taken this and, and twisted it all around and criticized paul for what he's saying here that, you know, curse them and Lord, come on and curse them now. That that's not what he's saying. 
He's saying the judgment's coming. It's urgent that that's going to happen. So we need to be busy at the work that is available to us so that they'll be more saved, not condemned. So take that in the right way. All right, we'll run into 2 Corinthians. Now, 2 Corinthians was written only a few months after 1 Corinthians. Now, we always saw here where Paul was talking about he would like to come by when he could, if he can, and if it be the Lord's will, to come by and, and see the church there at Corinth again. And he got rolling right into chapter 1 here of 2 Corinthians. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints which are in all Achaia, Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation. That's a wonderful statement right there. Who comforteth us in all our tribulation. No matter what's going on in your life, if you're uncomfortable in any way, turn to the Lord. He can give you comfort no matter what you're facing who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. See, when we feel good, when we are comforted, then we are encouraged to share that with others. And we are able to share that with others. But when you are down, when you are depressed, when you are miserable, it's hard to comfort anybody else. You can't really. Is for as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and, and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer, or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation." And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the suffering, so shall ye also of the consolation. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raiseth the dead. Facing those tribulations, facing those hardships that Paul and the others were going through, the persecutions, the imprisonments, the, the beatings, the stoning, so many things, and all through that, knowing that even if this life is ended here, that they have everlasting life to look forward to, that God, which raiseth the dead... So they weren't afraid to die in service for the Lord. Who delivered us up from so great a death and doth deliver, in whom we trust that we, he will yet deliver us. So also, helping together by prayer for us, that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. Giving some gratitude toward all those that have been praying for them just as we pray for each other and our missionaries and so forth and out there in the field doing the work. For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, 
but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world and more abundantly to you word. For we write none other things unto you than what ye read and, excuse me, or acknowledge. And I trust ye shall acknowledge even to the end. As also ye have acknowledged us in part that we are your rejoicing, even as ye also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. And in this confidence I was minded to come unto you before that ye might have a second benefit. Talking about staying in touch, praying for each other, keeping up to date. He had plans to come to see them in the past, as we read in 1 Corinthians, and this was written just a few months later in 2 Corinthians, and he's reminded them that, yes, I had a plan to come to you and to pass by you into Macedonia and to come again out of Macedonia unto you and of you to be brought on my way toward Judea. When I therefore was thus minded, did I use lightness or the things that I purpose? Do I purpose according to the flesh that with me there should be yea and yea and nay, nay. <clears throat> but as God is true, our word toward you was not yea and nay. For the God of, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanius and Timotheus, was not yea and nay, but in him was yea. For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him Amen unto the glory of God by us. Like, what is he talking about? This yay, yay, nay, nay. What was going on was he had planned on going there. He had planned on seeing them as he was going back and forth from Macedonia. But it hadn't worked out just like he had planned. And he had been getting some criticism from some of the naysayers saying, yeah, he said he was going to come by here and he didn't come by here. Therefore, he must not care much about you guys because he didn't come by. So they're trying to trash Paul. And Paul's saying it wasn't that it was he was confused or that he was so wishy-washy, this yay, yay, nay, nay stuff he's talking about here. But he's confident. He's determined. But it's all determined by the will of God. That's who we abide by. Is, but as God is true, so God is true, it wasn't that he was yay and nay, but he's proclaiming that it was sincere when he told him what he was going to do. He meant to do it, but it's always under the will of the Lord, following the will of the Lord. And the will of the Lord is true and solid, and we can stand on the will of the Lord and His desire, not ours. And that's why it's always when we're praying, when we're saying, when we're making plans and so forth, as the Lord willeth, if it be the Lord's will. Not just your own will. Because you might have all these plans all worked out for what you're going to do in your life. The Lord might have a completely different plan for you. You might be able to tell somebody, yes, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do, do that, I'm going to go here, I'm going to go there. But always in your mind or even in your conversation, if the Lord will. Because you want to stay in the will of the Lord. And that's what Paul was doing, staying in the will of the Lord. And it didn't work out. His plans that he had told them what he was going to do didn't work out, but it was by the will of the Lord that it didn't work out. So don't get mad at Paul because he didn't do what he wanted to do or had planned to do. 
because he was following the will of the Lord. Verse 21. Now he which establisheth us with you is Christ, and hath anointed us is God, who hath also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Like, they are born-again Christians. They have the Holy Ghost. They are being led by the Holy Ghost. Moreover, I call God for a record upon my soul that to spare you I came not as yet unto Corinth. Not for that we have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy, for by faith ye stand. It's like, he wanted to come, was not able to come, but he's under the direction and guidance of the Holy Ghost, and he's interested in helping the church at Corinth and continues to show that. As he continues verse 1 of chapter 2 here, But I determined this myself, that I would not come again to you in heaviness. Here he's also proclaiming that he would not want to come when he is down in heaviness, burdened, and not in the right frame of mind or of attitude or cheerfulness because he's not much benefit to someone when he's in that mood, you might say. But I determined this with myself, that I would not come again to you in heaviness. For if I make you sorry, who is he then that maketh me glad, but the same which is made sorry by me. How are you going to get support or uplifting from somebody that you have burdened with your problems and cares and made them sorrowful? So how you share your attitude to others will make a difference on how they are able to return back to you. Is what he's speaking of here. And I wrote this same unto you. Lest when I came I should have sorrow from them of whom I ought to rejoice, having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote unto you with many tears, not that ye should be grieved, but that ye might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. But if any have caused grief... He hath not grieved me, but in part that I may not overcharge you all. Sufficient to such a man is this punishment which was inflicted of many. Now see, he's getting into a little bit more information about there were people that were burdening him, actually condemning and criticizing him for his ministry, for what he was doing and what he was not doing what they thought he should and should not do. They were grieving him. He's saying, sufficient to such a man is is this punishment which was inflicted of many, so that contrariwise, we ought rather to forgive him. But note what he's putting out here. He says, even those naysayers, even those busybody troublemakers, we still need to have forgiveness for them. And comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Wherefore, I beseech you that ye would confirm your love toward him. And see here, this particular person, he's pointing out, not just them, because there was many, but here he's narrowing it down to one in particular, 
Because that's all it takes sometimes is one naysayer, and the next thing you know, you've got a whole group of them joining in with him. For to this end also did I write that I might know the proof of you, whether ye be obedient in all things, to whom ye forgive to whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I in the person of Christ. We need to know. We have been given forgiveness, and we need to give forgiveness. Even for those that have taken personal attacks against us, or personal attacks on your work for the Lord. Because if we keep such hardship, if we keep such unforgiveness, that opens the door of Satan to come in and cause more grief and problems, as he points out here in verse 11. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. He loves to cause division. He loves to cause stirrups in the church, in the group of believers, in families, in relationships. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel and a door was opened unto me of the Lord, I had not rest in my spirit because I found not Titus, my brother, but taking my leave of them, I went from thence into Macedonia. Now, thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the Savior of his knowledge by us in every place. Thanking the Lord for allowing them to be a part of the work of the Lord and be able to continue spreading the gospel, even with the various obstacles that he's been facing, the challenges and so forth. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one we are the Savior of death unto death, and to the other the Savior of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God. In the sight of God speak we in Christ. Verse 17 there, pointing out that he is teaching the truth. The Word of God, not corrupted. There was a lot of corruption, a lot of false teaching already starting way back then and continues today, that's for sure. And he's pointing out there that they're telling them the truth that they need to hear. All right, let's roll right on to chapter 3. Do we begin again to commend ourselves? Nice point out here. He just said that they're preaching the gospel, that they're preaching the truth, not corrupting it. And then he points out in chapter 3, do we begin again to commend ourselves? Like, well, are we bragging about ourselves? Like, look at all the wonderful work I have done? Like, be careful with that. Or need we, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? Like, do we need these praises? Do we need these accolades? Do we need these certificates of approval and so forth? These announcements of how great of a work they have done? Or do they need that back? Ye are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. It's like their award or reward or trophy is to see the kind of work that is done. They don't need to be 
extra recognition for it. That just knowing that it has been done and to look and see the fruits of your labor as an awesome reward. And that is enough for him. For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. And such trust have we through Christ to Godward. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. Once again, giving God the credit for all the work that had been accomplished, not taking it for himself. Who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. But if the ministration of death written and engraven in stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away. Talking about when Moses come down from Mount Sinai, he was glowing so, so brilliantly from being in the presence of God that they had to put a veil over his face because the people were freaking out. How shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. For even that which was made glorious had no glory in, in this respect by reason of the glory that excelleth. For if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remaineth is glorious. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. Great plainness of speech is very important. Not to be trying to impress somebody with some really elaborate words and everything. To have that spelled out simply so that everyone can understand it. And not as Moses which put on a veil over his face that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. But their minds were blinded. For until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. See, a lot of them had their eyes closed, this veil put over them. they still not able to see the reality of the finished work of Jesus Christ that had been done right there in front of them. again. But even unto this day when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. And they want it there. Many of them wanted it there. They wanted to just stick with the Old Testament and not realize the fulfillment of it. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. When they are willing to turn to the Lord, then that, is ta- that veil is taken away. And they can clearly see. Because now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. We are changed into the image of God, in the image of Jesus Christ. That's why we, when we approach anyone, we need to approach someone and they, looking at us, see Jesus Christ, not us when we get ourselves out of the way and let Jesus Christ, His love, His glory, His 
light shine through us into others around us, they see Jesus Christ instead of us individually. And that's what he's pointing out here in verse 18. Read that one again. But we all, with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. By the indwelling Spirit of the Holy Ghost, we can shine the light of Jesus Christ, share the love of Jesus Christ, show the image of Jesus Christ in our life to others around us. That's the goal, so that they can see Jesus Christ. And he's pointing out in here not to give Him the honor, not to glory, not to give Him special accolades or, or rewards or certificates that show His great works. No, give all the honor, all the glory to the Lord. And not to criticize and condemn and cut down others. We've got to have forgiveness. So be forgiving, be charitable, to truly be concerned for someone else's well-being, and let the Lord come forward in our lives. Let's pray. Lord Jesus and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of your work. Help us to truly realize that, that we merely need to be totally submissive, to be clay in your hands, and to mold us into whatever you would have us to be. Not our desire, but your desire be done. We thank you oh so much as we pray in Jesus' precious holy name. Amen. Thank you all.